Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne, and this is another edition of Two Ways News, coming to you this time from Youngstown in the great state of Ohio. And I'm here with Marty Sweeney, uh, the director of Matthias Media USA, a native and proud Ohioan, if that's how you say it. Absolutely. And for the past 17 years now, running the Matthias Media Ministry over here in the US. Why do they say the great state of Ohio? What's so great about Ohio anyway? <laughs> I don't know why it's so great. I can tell you why I love living here. But uh, I think I would imagine no matter what state you're from in the United States, they say the great state of and just fill in the blank. Well, as you like to tell me, seven presidents of the United States. Indeed. Born Indeed. in Ohio. Oh, none of them very good presidents. <laughs> The people here are a lovely, Marty, including you, of course. And one of the great attractions of Ohio, from my point of view, it's the home. Uh, was he born here, the greatest golfer of all time? Absolutely, Jack Nicholas. Yep, exactly. Yeah, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of well-known Ohioans that most people listening would probably have heard of, Jack Nicholas included. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we've been traveling um, away from Ohio for most of the time that I've been over here, traveling to different parts of the states doing trellis and vine workshops, talking about ministry with people, talking both with congregation members. We've done a, a couple of workshops just with congregation members and also workshops with pastors to talk about ministry together and the, the principles of, of the trellis and vine and so on. It's been great to do that again with you. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed having me here. Absolutely. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, you've got to say that. Now, one of the things I thought we should talk about and really what this conversation today will major on is the kinds of things that have come out of these workshops that we've noticed and kind of thinking back really over 14, 15 years we've been doing these kind of workshops here at different points in the United States, bouncing off the success of, of the trellis and the vine, the very surprising success from my point of view of the trellis and the vine. And it would be great for us to have a conversation about the sort of things that we keep noticing as we talk with churches and with congregation members. And maybe thinking back over the trellis and the vine, is there anything we'd change? Is there anything we'd add mm. if we were going to do another edition? But how about I start by asking you this? So we've done a, a number of workshops this time around with members of churches, um, key leaders, key involved, keen people in churches. And they went well, and there was a sense of excitement and kind of buy-in and, wow, this is really great from the people we were meeting with. What do you think were the key things in, the, in what we shared with people, um, the kind of ideas we shared? What do you think were the key things that connected with them and were important? I think that it's always surprising, though it shouldn't be, because we, as you said, we've done these workshops for a number of years, that the concept that everyone is a vine worker came really loud and clear through the trellis and vine. But it's, it's so surprising yet we hear it every time, that people still need to be reminded that every Christian indeed is a vine worker. So one of the things that we said in each of the workshops and the training times is that we're both trying to raise the bar of, uh, of this idea and lower the barrier. Raise the bar in the sense of, of indeed telling people that they should expect all their Christians at the church, everyone, uh, to be a disciple-making disciple or to be a word minister of the gospel to all those around them. So we want everyone involved in this. Everyone should be involved in this. We're raising the bar in that sense. But we're also trying to lower the barrier because I think at least in the United States, I can't speak much for Australia in this sense, that discipleship, disciple-making has been often reduced to um, 
a certain set of ideas that most Christians don't feel that they have access to or are particularly gifted at. For example, um, most Christians here think that discipleship is maybe some program they participate in their church. Uh, most Christians think that discipleship is where a, an older, say, an older man takes on a younger man and works with him. Almost uh, like mentoring. Yes, like mentoring. So we're trying to say we're trying to lower the barrier of entry to this in a way that so that everyone sees that they because they have access to the ingredients of ministry, as we say. I'm not sure if that's the best way to say it. But what, that's are the, how it what are the ingredients of ministry? Yeah, we, we say we call it the four P's. You call it the four P's in uh, the Vine Project and other resources. But it's word, prayer and people. Um, the four P's are proclamation of the word prayerfully by the spirit of God through the people of God patiently over time and because we all have access to those ingredients that we can push someone towards maturity in christ by applying those four p's so even if i'm not say an older christian uh, or if i'm an older christian i can disciple make a disciple of a, an even older christian or someone who's even more mature than me simply by applying the four p's to his life and so we're trying to say that you don't have to have it in some formal structure. You don't have to be in a formal mentoring relationship that my wife, my kids, my neighbors, I can all help them grow in the maturity of Christ by applying the four Ps. It is liberating for people to see that in a sense that the joy and it's not just a responsibility, of course, it's a it's huge joy and a privilege that because the, the ministry of Christ, the word of Christ, the gospel is so wonderful. And I want to see people come to know him. I want to see people grow in him. I want to see people standing on that last day with him and not under God's judgment. That I can do all kinds of things very simply just by sharing a word with somebody else. And sometimes one of the things in these workshops where the lights go on for people when we were doing this, it seemed to me, was when we said, when you share with your next door neighbor that you're a Christian, and maybe say a word or two about something from a Christian perspective. That's the kind of ministry we're talking about. You're sharing a little gem, a little, a little part of God's word, a little aspect of what God and what Christ is about with someone else. And you're praying that God uses that just to push that person forward. Mm -hmm. Or it might be that after church, instead of just going straight home or just talking about the football, that you might share with the person you're talking to, what it is we're learning in the sermon today and discuss it together and encourage one another and perhaps ask each other what we might pray for by by simple kind of things like that that are within, in a sense, many of us, within the reach of most of us, we can share the word with somebody else and help them take a step forward, encourage them. See, I think it's that most people, when they hear that, at least the people I work with at the church that I help out at, they think they have to have it all together, yep. their life all working well, not really any major problems, and have to have know all the answers uh, to life's big questions or questions about Scripture. And we're simply, what you just articulated is a, a wonderful way to say, speak the Word of God, and God, through His Spirit, will do the work. Um, so it's both the, the privilege that we have to be the speakers of God's Word to each other, but also it's also, as you said earlier, freeing, because it's God who does the work. Um, so it's not kind of a let go and let God, I have the responsibility and the privilege to speak God's word. Maybe just say another way, it's, it's do I really believe that God's word is active and powerful it, through his spirit? 
And uh, I guess as I say that out loud, I say sometimes I doubt it myself, even someone who really believes in these things. And so we're trying to, to, to liberate, uh, to persuade and equip people in our church uh, that they are to be part of this and that they can do it because they're doing it in the strength God gives them and by his powerful word and spirit. I like the way you put it. It's In a sense, it's raising the bar for the Christian. It's saying you, you need to think about yourself in a new way, not just as a receiver, not just as a participant in the programs, as someone who benefits uh, and who is part of things, who perhaps you know helps out on one of the church teams or you know does things around the church. It's a change of mindset in, in terms of who you are as a Christian. To be, a, to be an apprentice of Jesus, as we say, to be a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, is to be someone who looks around you and longs to see them become apprentices of Christ and to grow like Christ, to be more and more like Christ. So in a sense, it's a raising of people's understanding of themselves to be ambassadors for Christ, to be apprentices who make other apprentices. But at the same time, it's a kind of liberation that says doing that is not getting up the front and preaching a sermon necessarily or teaching a Sunday school class or even doing any formal role. It's a commitment in all that we do with all the people we know all around us to love them and to say, how could I help you make a step forward by just sharing something of the word with you and opening up a conversation with you? And it's interesting that as we then went to do some workshops with pastors, so a number of our workshops were helping pastors think through these issues, it was a challenge for pastors to think about disciple-making or apprentice-making in this way as well. Uh, yeah, and I'd, I'd, I'd be curious, I want to throw this back to you just to ask you, why do you think that is? Um, my observation, just to kick off this part of the conversation, would be that pastors, as you say in the workshops, pastors, we all believe this, but our culture, uh, what's the old uh, phrase, um, culture eats strategy for lunch, <laughs> right? Culture eats our... Um, culture each our, our vision for lunch, so to speak, that we can cast this vision. But if the way we do things at our church doesn't signify, wave the hand real real high and say, you're all involved in this, and then encourage them to do so, then our, our convictions don't really do much. It came out, I think, when we were talking about the four E's. So in our workshops, we talk about moving a Christian forward in Christ, moving them to the right, as we say, uh, way back from engagement, when we engage with someone before they're even a Christian, just to get to know them, and then we evangelize them. That's the second D. And in God's kindness, they come to know Christ. We then establish them in Christ and help them grow as a Christian in Christian maturity. And the sort of final phase is to equip, that's the fourth E, to equip Christians with this mindset and with this heart and with some basic skills to get started. And one of the interesting things we found as we talked about this was when we ask pastors to talk about things they might do or are doing in their church that are equipping type things, they kept, they kept mentioning examples of establishing kind of things, just teaching Christians more theology or having a Sunday school class where you work through key doctrines with Christians and help them grow in their understanding. Uh, the essential difference between, in a sense, that established sort of phase, I'm growing to maturity, and what we mean by the kind of a quip phase of someone's maturity is that in that phase you've come to see yourself differently not just someone who is growing in Christ growing in knowledge pleasing God uh, living and bearing fruit in their lives in different ways being a godly person but you realize that love that foundational Christian virtue 
drives you out of yourself to other people to want to see them grow in Christ. It's that change of mindset to see the people around you as precious people who you want to see come towards Christ, grow in him as they become Christians. And to equip someone with that mindset and heart and some basic skills to get started in doing it, that's what we mean by equip. Yes, and it, it's interesting. It does come from our convictions. Right? I remember when the, the proverbial penny dropped right on that, and I think we'd have to adjust that for inflation, right? The quarter drops, <laughs> right? Um, when I read the appendix of Broughton Knox's, I don't say it right, Broughton. That's pretty good. Eh? Not bad in Australian. Mm-hmm. Broughton Knox's book, The Everlasting God, uh, about the, the, the nature of the Trinity and God always being other person-centered and thus to be in his image and recreated in the image of God, uh, in Christ's image, is to be other person-centered. And I remember that moment just many years ago when, that, when I read that, I thought, yes, the essence of who I am is to be other person-centered. And then that was before Charles and Vine or The Course of Your Life came out. And then when you wrote some things around this, the idea is that, yeah, the essential character of a Christian is not to pursue my own agenda, but the agenda God has. And that's to be other person invested. That's why he sent Jesus. And that's why he's doing his work through his spirit and word and spirit in the world. Yeah, it's really hard to get people because we are so we are so focused on our agenda. And I think that it's really hard for pastors to train people that they're not just so let me just say this way. We heard in workshops, one of the things all the pastors and ministry leaders said is they want less consumers and more active participants. But I just wonder if we're not pushing them far enough to say, not, it's not just participating in the trellis structures of the church, but participating in the lives of all those around them through word and prayer. Yeah, that's very helpful, Marty. And it's, it's not kind of an either or at that point. Um, we, we have the same thing in Australia and that we want people to be ministry minded. We want to get them involved. We want to get them serving. That's often a word we use. We want to see people serving in church, not just receiving. And a great first step in serving is to get involved in the various teams that are happening around the church that do stuff, that are in the welcoming team or the kind of Sunday morning team that handles the music and the sound desk and stuff or the or teams that run Sunday school or youth ministry or, the, or a team that helps to run small groups and become small group leaders and so on. So all these different things you can get involved in are, are great. They're sort of and they do help you. They help you flex your muscles in becoming someone who's a servant rather than a recipient. But what we're talking about, um, the equipping of someone with a mindset not to serve others and with the, with the understanding that the fundamental way we're all trying to help each other grow, the real, where the real action is, is as the word of God has an impact on someone's life and God's spirit produces growth. And so... Uh, a kind of basic underlying training or equipping of every Christian is really vital in this because it means that as you go into different structures, different teams, you're mobilized in different ways, you do that with this base understanding of what I'm actually doing. And this is important. So someone even on, say, on a music or a singing kind of ministry team who understands that this is what we're, we're engaged in, where we're part of a word ministry and we're wanting to see the word grow in people's lives as the songs communicate with each other, as we sing to each other and as we sing to God in response to his, his grace and his goodness. If you understand that's what you're doing, and actually you're doing it with each other in the music team, you're encouraging and building each other as you do this. It's a different experience than if I'm just here to play an instrument 
uh, I'm just here to sort of play in the band. Yeah. So do you think that that insight that you just summarized, I think it's there in Trellis and Vine, but maybe I'm just reading back into it. So if you were reworking Trellis and Vine, or do you think it was enough there in Trellis and Vine, this discussion? Yes and no. Um, I think given the fact that lots of nearly everybody in the room had read Trellis and Vine, which is extraordinary, in a number of these workshops, we put up their hands, and given that they still hadn't got it in many ways, that may be an indication that there wasn't enough in the book on it. Well, certainly was there if you had if you had eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, we did kind of um, say more on this question in the follow up in in Vine Project, but I think no, there wasn't enough on it. Um, and in some ways, that's what a lot of the work I've done since, in a way, the whole the PhD work I, I've done and the the book I'm working on at the moment is really on this question, on the role of every Christian as someone with this heart and with this privilege of sharing the word with others. Um, it's kind of like this bed, bedrock underlying conviction, I think, that that should permeate through the way we're training people in ministry. And in a sense, um, one of the interesting things in, in Trellis and Vine, just looking back at it again, reading it again while I've been over here, uh, one of the ways it comes out is that in the trellis in the mind itself, there's a lot of emphasis on the apprenticeship side of things. So that is ministry training, taking on interns slash apprentices, seeing people come through this process and then be recruited to full-time ministry. It's quite surprising what a significant chunk of the book is about that towards the end. And yet you'd say looking back and sort of looking around, certainly here in the States, even though there's been a huge take-up of the book and people are really excited about it over the last decade or so, You've been telling me it's it's not really resulted in lots of new apprenticeships and lots of new people being recruited into ministry, which has been interesting. Yeah, that's right. It's I think it's because that we still think pastoral work is kind of over here and, and strongly segmented from the work of everyday Christians. Implicitly, maybe maybe we wouldn't express it that way. Although I do think at times we, you know, we we wrestle with we want to say that. Every Christian's a minister of the word, and yet still we believe in leadership. We believe in calling for pastors, and that there are certain uh, aspects that a pastor is different. So we're not we're not brethren. We're not saying that everything everybody's the same. We're not trying to flatten the whole landscape. Not flatten completely. the whole out. But I I think we need to come at it from the other way, and we're trying to reduce the gap between how we view pastors and the everyday Christian. And because of that, I just wonder if we think of apprenticeship as, well, I, you know, I've got a church of 150. I just, no one's thinking about ministry. And so why would I consider an apprenticeship? Why is no one thinking about ministry? That's the question. Well, uh, I've, I'm, a, I'm a faithful listener, Tony, to Two Ways News. And you and Philip did a, uh, an interaction last year on that. And it hit me because we're not preaching the gospel, that we're not preaching a gospel that we are called to abandon our agenda for this life. Uh, and there, you know, there are agendas that aren't overtly necessarily sinful. <laughs> to have a good middle-class lifestyle, raise up my kids, have a good life, experience life with them. They go off to college, get good education, and onward we go. The American dream. Yeah, the American dream. I think because we haven't preached the gospel to say, let's abandon not just my own you know, sinful pursuits in life, but my whole agenda in life to make this life the best I can. And say, what does God want me to do? And that is to see others be saved and transformed in his likeness through the teaching of the gospel. So I thought that was really helpful. And I would just, that's how 
I would answer it too. We aren't preaching the gospel of, as you often quote, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. I won't take credit for this. This is a, an old insight of Cole Marshall's, who, of course, pioneered the, the ministry training kind of idea, the idea of recruiting people into apprenticeships and so on, uh, that the it begins way, way back. It begins with a training culture in the church itself, with a with a mindset and a practice of training everybody, of equipping everybody in the language we're using to be, each in their own way, according to their gifts, to be a someone who's seeking to minister the word in some fashion to those around them in everyday life, that that's the nature of the Christian life. The more that that's the nature of the Christian life in your church, the, and the more that you're training and equipping people in that mindset, just as the normal part of church life, the more the people bubble to the surface, who have real potential and who have real gifts to do that. And you look at them and say, that's the kind of person who should give up their day, everyday job and do this full time. Uh, and so the pastoral ministry becomes kind of the full-time gifted version of what everybody's doing that leads and exemplifies and leads this whole task that we're all engaged in. And in many ways, the lack of of people bubbling to the surface and you seeing people emerge who have real ability and real potential as gospel workers is often a function of a lack of an equipping or a training culture more generally. So let me ask you on that. How could you, we had this question at the workshops, and I was going to press into that a little bit more. What, how would you define a training culture? Like, What is a training culture? A training, what I mean by a training culture, you could, you could sort of define it in, in lots of different ways, I suppose, just those words, to train someone and to have a culture in which that's happening all the time. But what I'm really meaning by it is what we were talking about before to get to that equipping phase of Christian ministry where you're revolutionizing people's understanding of themselves by teaching them and, tr and training them in these ideas, the ideas that we're all apprentice makers together, applying the word of God prayerfully on these questions in our preaching and in our smaller work as well to see people's hearts shifted in that direction, and then having a culture where we equip people to do this alongside us, equip them with some competencies to start doing that ministry themselves. And as they do so, to keep thinking, well, I want all these people around me to grow in Christ, and I want them to do things alongside me as well. So a part of it, one of the symptoms of a training culture starting to break out in, in a church is that people are getting other people to do things alongside them all the time. That when you teach a Sunday school class, you're looking for who it is you can get to teach alongside you, who can learn to do that. When you're wanting to share the gospel with someone or meet to read the Bible with someone, you think, well, who could else could I get to do this with me um, who's also starting to get these ideas and grow in this conviction so that they can get the confidence to do it with someone else as well. So it's a culture in which all the congregation, or as many of them as, as God will, will bring to do this, start to learn and grow in this conviction and in this kind of way of living and in these sort of abilities, and are always seeking to reproduce that as much as possible. That's what we did at our church with um, by running uh, the course of your life many, many times over and over again, that we... We, not, we just didn't run it because it was a good course, but we ran it again and again and again also at the same time, so it was a training ground. So I would try to find a new co-leader every time I ran it so that would come along and say, would you help me out? And we're then doing two things at once. We're training those in a, around us. We're also training the, the, the guy by my side to help him be a trainer of others as well. So it was really just... Maybe just to, to use back to the beginning on trellis and vine thinking, 
it's not just thinking, how can I get every Christian be a vine worker? It's how do I rearrange and structure my trellises to serve that vine work? But you said that quite obviously in the book. It still seems to be that the trellis and the vine is, is juxtaposed or set against each other. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Uh, the title of the book is The Trellis and the Vine. Maybe next time in the next edition we'll make that and bigger and bolder. <laughs> it's the trellis and the vine. It's not the trellis or the vine. I, I think because you can fall down on both sides of it. Um, I think one of the reasons the book resonated with so many people was that they are really aware of this problem of having lots and lots of programs and structures that they're busy with and yet they feel that the kind of essential vine work of the word and, and prayer in people's lives is kind of lacking. And so you have the sense that it's, I'm just busy with the trellis, but there's not much happening in the vine. And it's kind of frustrating and disheartening. And you feel that you're just turning the wheel all the time and nothing's getting anywhere. And you're just engaged in busy work all the time. And that's, I think, what resonated a lot with people. And yet the flip side can also be just as true. And I think we've come across this in our workshops too. It's to be engaged in faithful vine work, as it were. That is to be seeking to read the Bible with people, uh, to have more Bible in your ministry and prayer, uh, to be thinking about how to train people, but not also to address your structures, your traditions, the habits you have, the way that you run your Sunday gathering, the way that you structure your midweek kind of smaller things. To not think through all the other trellis side of things means that it can often just get in the way and shut down the, the capacity for you to really bring change and growth in, in that particular congregation. And we came across that quite a lot in the workshops. Uh, it's hard for pastors to think about, for example, changing the way Sunday morning works and feels in order to promote this culture when they've kind of inherited a tradition of doing Sunday a certain way and it's going to be painful to change it. Uh, and so in some ways I think if I was going to write an appendix or a preface to the second edition or something, I might emphasise this point in a new edition, that it's it's not the trellis or the vine, it's it's the trellis and the vine. Yeah. The trellis, as you said in a vine project, the trellis strikes back, mm. but it's still, we're wrestling with it. We're wrestling with how to, how that interaction works and the idea that the trellis is there to serve the vine. And so in one sense, we want to build more trellises because the vine is growing and needs structure and support. Yeah, That's exactly right. It's almost as if we, we, we tend to gravitate, depending on our personality and our background, to one of two kind of tendencies. One is, if only I work on the trellises and make the programs great and restructure myself in a more efficient fashion, everything's going to go great. Or if only I just do more personal vine work, get some more one-to-ones happening, pray more, and kind of, and let's leave the trellis. It's not about the trellis. It's just about that. We'll find that the trellises, the structures, will kind of crush and inhibit the growth of that vital kind of people work. We need to get them to be aligned. And yeah, we need to get them to be together. To use, it, use an experience we've had at our church is that we run all those people, hundreds and hundreds of people through the course of your life, and a number of people just kind of went through, shook their head, moved on. But a, a good number, scores, hundreds maybe even, of people really got it. We realized that we needed a trellis to help them um, put into action the things they believe in but not really sure what to do with it. Yeah, fantastic. And, yeah. and otherwise, the vine just kind of withers out. 
And so very something as simple as, would you be willing to read the Bible with this newcomer? Um, that is vine work, but it's, it's, it's me facilitating a little trellis, setting up the, the time for them to meet, mm. instructing this one to, okay, reach out, have coffee, things like that. So once it's, it's little trellis work along the lines, but we realized that, that we needed that trellis in order for the vine to grow for all those people who really, really get it, just weren't sure what the next step was. Yeah, that's brilliant. Because in many ways, what the, the course of your life structure, and dear listener, if you don't know what the course of your life is, it's a, it's a little, it's a fr- training framework we came up with some time ago to kind of work through these basic convictions about the Christian life, about who you are, and, and your role as a Christian in being a, a disciple or an apprentice maker of others, uh, and to see that it's a convictional kind of course to really address those issues of the heart and apply the word of God to them. And that, that's its strength. Um, but having had that kind of heart change and mind shift, if you put it that way, and people, wow, yes, I, this, is, this is what my life is about, and I can do this, to then say, well, let me help you, let me put you in a team of people to help you to have a, an occasion to do this and others around you and, and a structure to sort of get you moving, that's incredibly helpful. So that's, that's, that's helpful, Marty. Thanks. Tony, do you think um, all the things you've, we've been through, it feels like we've been on the road for ages, but it was just <laughs> about eight to 10 days of doing these workshops and trainings. What would you leave us with to pay a special attention to? Or maybe put it this way, what parts of Trellis and Vine do you really want to flag and highlight nests to go back and read? I think the two things that struck me most, uh, one of them is something that we very much are struggling with in Australia, and one is, is I think, more of an issue for you in the, in the States. The thing we've already talked about, that is creating a training culture in the church, which is raising up every Christian, that's something that really struck me, and we've talked about this already. It's something that many of the churches we, we um, interacted with aren't doing and are thinking about how they can start doing that. And I think that's an issue for Australian churches very much as well. But one of the differences I noticed, um, most of the churches in Australia that I, I interact with and know have quite a strong sense of the need for evangelism for those around us in our suburb uh, or in our community. A really strong sense that we're small, that the society is is largely non-Christian and that our task as a congregation is to reach out into our community and to reach the lost. Now, we're not all doing a great job of it. Some of us are doing much better at it than others. But the consciousness that, at, that we're sitting in, a, in like a little band of brothers on a rock in a big sea of non-Christian lostness, and our job is to get in the boat and get out there and rescue people, that sense is, is my, I think, stronger in Australia. That's partly cultural. There's all kinds of reasons. But it really struck me here, talking to a lot of churches, how many of the churches here said that their, their sense of evangelistic engagement or, or their actual evangelism to the community around them was really small, if not non-existent. They'd engage with the community. They'd run events to kind of say, here we are, we're a church, we're a great place, but we have a basketball tournament here, we do things here at church, you can come along to various activities. But then there's this complete gap or silence between that initial engagement and them actually joining church. There's just very little evangelism. And so uh, it was a common theme in our workshops, wasn't it, that that the number of adult converts, for example, happening in churches year by year was very small and that the sense of any resources or effort or strategy or structure or trellis or any kind of investment into actual evangelism was was really small. And I think that's one of the things that really struck me. 
uh, and I know it strikes you as well. Absolutely, yeah. And it is, it, and I think that's fair. I think what you witness is uh, I do these calls with pastors around the country year-round, and it, I sense the same thing, very much so. It is very easy, isn't it, for us to see church as very much a Christian in-house thing because church is for Christians. Church is the gathering of the believers, and it's easy for us to say, yes, that's what we're really about. We're about gathering and growing the believers. But the thing is, as you grow a believer, a Christian believer, if you're not growing an evangelistically-hearted believer, you've still got immature believers. You're not growing them. So church is the gathering of the Christian believers. It's, it's us together as God's people. But if, as God's people, seeking to become like Jesus, we don't have Jesus' heart, which is to seek and to save the lost, that's why he came into the world, um, then we're not growing like Jesus enough yet. We're not yet mature as a congregation. It's, in that sense, it's not either or. Is church for Christians or for non-Christians? Surely, yeah, church is a gathering of the believers. But believers, when they grow more like Jesus, really want to reach out to the lost people all around them, and their eyes are open to that, I think. Thank you, Tony. That's very helpful. Uh, some of it we know, but it's helpful to have someone who cares and has observed enough as one of us, but yet an outsider to come in and say these things. And I'm, I'm really grateful. I know the number of churches uh, that have participated in these last few weeks, we're, we're all really grateful. And we're also looking forward to your Share the Gospel course that's coming out for us this summer in a couple months, because I think, well, that's never going to solve it. Uh, it does inch us along to, to push us to think, how can we actually train each other to do this work, um, to have the conviction that, People need the gospel, the character, that we love them enough and we love God enough. We want to share the message of his love and his coming judgment uh, and the competency and skills to be able to share it. So thanks for doing that. And really, thanks for coming to America. I know I hear from my Australian friends, and I'm not sure why you guys come to America the way you make fun of us. But yet you always do come. So thank you. Well, thanks, Marty. And I I do really enjoy coming because... Even though we focused in this conversation about some of the things we've noticed, some of the areas for growth, uh, what always encourages me enormously when I come over here is just what a great gospel tradition there is among churches in this country. We're so small as evangelicals in Australia. There's not many of us. And you come over here and you find this huge fellowship of evangelicals of all different stripes and kinds. Um, and with their problems and their differences and their strengths, but with a love for the gospel and the Lord Jesus and a really solid, faithful uh, grasp of that gospel and a determination to minister it, um, and with a with a heart for the gospel and for uh, for the glory of God that is just very encouraging. And because you Americans are just a little bit more heart on sleeve than we Australians are, a little bit more open and thankful and willing to express your appreciation. I kind of come, Marty, um, in order to get my two weeks' worth of encouragement and affirmation that will then last me for the rest of the year because, you know, in Australia we never kind of compliment or encourage each other. We just kind of tear each other down. So I come over here and I get all these people super thankful, very encouraging, and I go home um, with enough encouragement to last me till I come next time. Well, we are super thankful. (laughs) Tony, you're amazing. Let me just say that. You're an amazing person. So thank you for coming. Would you like my autograph? (laughs) Yes, indeed. Would you like me to sign your books? On my forehead, please.
<laughs> Listen, thanks, Marty, for the conversation. Thanks for putting up with me the last couple of weeks on the road. It's been great. Uh, and thanks, dear listener, for being with us for another episode of Two Ways News. As always, any questions or thoughts that you have to chip into this conversation or that you'd like to ask about all this, please get in touch. Uh, you can always just email me at tonyjpain at me.com. Or even better, if you go across to the website and sign up to be a member of the Two Ways News kind of email list, uh, it's free, you can just sign up for free, uh, you'll meet, it means that you'll get the email every week with the episode in it and the transcript, and it's a lot easier to share in some ways than a podcast. You can just forward the email to friends and discuss it, uh, and you also get uh, all the links and other details in the email as well. So sign up for the email list if you haven't already, uh, and do please keep in touch. We love hearing from all of you. Well, that's about it for this episode. Marty, we always finish our, finish our episodes in prayer, so I wonder if you'd like to close in prayer for us. I would love to. Precious Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your good work, your wonderful work through the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that you sent. We thank you, Lord, that he is reigning on high, and we thank you, Lord, that he has continued to do his good work in and through us as he's done for us. Uh, Lord, we do pray for... Uh, all the pastors and ministry leaders we have been with, and we pray for all the listeners who are listening now, Lord, that want to see your son heralded. And we ask, Lord, that you will equip us uh, with what we need, as you've promised in your great commission, and that you will motivate our heart and mind to love you and love others, uh, to spread this amazing news about your son, Jesus. Lord, we'd ask that you will uh, bless Two Ways News and continue to use Two Ways News and Tony and Philip and others, Lord, to spur on to love and good works all those who listen. And Lord, we thank you for your kindness in so many ways. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen.